Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Julie Gould, and this is the Nature Jobs Podcast. In this month's episode, we're talking about the importance of networking, and we've got a real-life story of how your career can successfully alternate between stints in academia and in industry. When we're hunting, you know, a big game, we, we, will, we will travel like crazy and we'll work very hard. But when we kill it, we get to eat it. And after we eat it, we sleep. And then we get up and we hunt again. And here it just seems like it's sort of unrelenting. That was Peter Fisk, a longtime friend of Nature Jobs. He actually wrote a column last year in February about his personal experience on what to do if your job is at risk and the importance of career planning. His article, Look Before You Leap, actually turned out to be one of the most widely read Nature Careers article from last year. So definitely worth a read. At the time of writing the column, Peter had a sudden change of career. He was CEO at Pax Water Technologies, which was acquired by UGSI Solutions in January 2017. Was that something that you had time to prepare for or was it something that came on rather suddenly? It came on rather suddenly. Uh, when a company uh, becomes an acquisition target, a lot of things happen very quickly and uh, most of the time, you're very busy during the transaction, so you don't really have much time to think about you know, what happens next, including whether I'll even have a job at the end of the transaction. And it is not unusual for the CEO of the acquired company to be dismissed. And so I was kind of already kind of emotionally prepared that that might be the outcome. Thankfully, Peter's story does have a happy ending. He had developed a great habit, networking, and through a conversation with an old friend, he found out about an opportunity that fit his skills and research interests perfectly. Peter has now been working as the director of the Water Energy Resilience Institute at the Lawrence Berkeley Lab in California for over a year. But it has been 16 years since he left academia the first time. Julie, people in research work so hard. Oh my God, they work all the time. <laughs> and and I, I, you know, when I was a young scientist at Lawrence Livermore Lab, yeah, I worked six days a week pretty regularly. Uh, but it's it seems like the intensity has increased since I've been gone. Oh, really? So just lo- longer yeah. hours and, and more hard working? Kind of more, more projects. So 
So whereas before a postdoc might have a single project that they're focused on and might be able to enjoy that they're on a single project here, each postdoc might have three separate projects to jump between and a PI might have 10. So it's just really, it's really scattered and it's, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I don't think that the job satisfaction has gone up in the 15 years. I was, I was just about to ask, how do you feel that that has had an impact on, on the way that people see their careers in academia? Yeah, I, I think that there's, there, it's just a very intense experience. And um, we work hard in the private sector. We certainly do. Uh, and when we're hunting, you know, a big game, we, we, will, we will travel like crazy and we'll work very hard. But when we kill it, we get to eat it. And after we eat it, we sleep. <laughs> and then we get up and we hunt again. And here it just seems like it's sort of unrelenting. There's no, you know, you finish a project and it's a real triumph, right? But you're right back you know, the very next morning, you're back on to the next thing. And how, how are you feeling adapting to this new way of working? Oh, my God, it's horrible. <laughs> no, I'm just, it's fun. But I will say that the two things I noticed, first of all, is that there is no end to the volume of work. I mean, it's, it's like an ideal gas. It will expand to fill whatever vessel of time you give it. And then the other thing that I notice is that it is a very solitary life. Even in a national laboratory with, with many different researchers, most of the time people are working genuinely on their own. And in the private sector, there's just a lot more interaction, a lot more, you know, when we would go on a sales call, you'd be going with somebody else. You'd have a lot of time to discuss both before and after what's going on. And I find here that most of the time the faculty are alone. And uh, that was one of the things that originally kind of drove me away from research. And so what is it that's brought you back? We describe the job in the private sector, Julie, as business development. Uh, and in business development, what you have to do is you come in and, and try to identify new opportunities for the business to grow. And so that's what I've done. i am come back here and I'm going to help Lawrence Berkeley Lab um, really grow its water research programs. So apart from networking, what other tips, I mean, especially based on your, your own experience as well, do you have for people on staying flexible and positive when it comes to seeing that, that you know, the market, the career market has moved on? I think we spend a lot of time as scientists believing that because we have a degree in one area, we are, it's not only that we are we we cannot practice in another area, but we're almost like we shouldn't. Like it's almost fraudulent for us to represent ourselves as somehow competent in anything other than the discipline that we were trained. And that's really something that 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 um, that we need to 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 frankly unteach grad students today. People in the people in the outside world in the industry, they don't care where you went to to your university. They don't even really care what field you were in. What they care about is what you can do and what you're willing to try. And the nice thing about, you know, scientists and engineers is they tend to be very smart, very resourceful people who are able to, um, you know, use a lot of different tools. So, um, so I think flexibility starts from within. It starts from an internal decision and a belief that you can do it if you try. Um, and then the other side of flexibility is, uh, 
making sure that you have a range of technical skills. Um, and they're things that just will always be important. It'll always be important to, to know the basics of information technology, whether you can generate a decent program in Perl or Ruby, or whether you just know how to run a very advanced spreadsheet with, um, with all sorts of uh, uh, formula and, and, and models within it. Those basic skills that we use as part of getting our job done, those are very valuable skills in the outside world. And so making sure that you have a, that broad skill set is, is, is important. Based on your own experience of having worked in academia, left and now come back, what advice do you have for young researchers about moving in between the academic and industry sectors? One thing I am seeing is that researchers are realizing that they need to have a portfolio of sponsors for their research and that they need to think about doing both applied and basic research at the same time. And so I'm seeing today that successful academics are doing a combination of cutting-edge research. Some of them are also consulting on, uh, for, for industries and actually bringing in substantial in personal income as a result. Some of them are realizing that a combination of working for uh, federal-level research sponsors and state-level research sponsors are important. And then I know some researchers who are um, orienting their graduate students such that at least one chapter of their thesis is working on an applied problem and even in some cases working you know, as a consultant, for example, uh, in an industrial setting. And what those grad students gain is skills and experience of working in directly in the private sector even before they graduate. And I find that that ends up really preparing them very well for the next steps they take in their career. But that, that sort of diversification, so I would say that's the key um, recommendation I have, is diversify the portfolio of your research and diversify the places where you can get support for it. So thank you, Peter Fisk, for sharing all your honest insights into academia and employment trends. And as you've heard, Peter is a big advocate for networking. So I thought I'd ask Elena G. Levine, author of Networking for Nerds, to share her top science network tip. Networking is not me trying to mine your brain for a job. It's not me trying to get something from you or be sleazy and try and sell you a, a bad used car. Networking is actually the most honorable thing that a scientist or an engineer can do because networking is about what can I do for you? What can I do to contribute value to your team? So here's the definition. Networking is a continuous spectrum of activities that starts with that first point of contact and the beautiful thing about it, the most honorable thing about it, is that it aims for a win-win alliance with the other person where we're both providing value over time and it ends only when one or both of us drop dead. So that's networking. It's about building capacity. It's about helping people. It's about contributing value to the other party, to their team, to their organization, to their research group. But now, once you know what networking is, a lot of people ask me, Elena, I went to a conference and I met these people and it was great. Now what do I do? I've networked, but what do I do now? And so what I wanted to talk to you about today is how you actually follow up, the art of the follow-up in networking. 
see, what happens is, is once you have that first point of contact, maybe you meet them at the conference or you interacted with them online via LinkedIn or something like that, you have what I call a meaningful engagement where you perhaps actually have a conversation, an informal conversation, where you explore the potential to collaborate. And then you send them a thank you note, and then what do you do next? So here's how you keep the conversation going, the information flowing, the relationship building, and most importantly, your brand, which is your promise of value, in the forefront of their minds so that they think of you as somebody who is a problem solver who can help them. And when an opportunity comes up, they call you first. Here's how you do it. You're going to put into your calendar a number of times, between two to four times over the next year, when you're going to send a follow-up email to these people. And each email should contain strategic information that's designed to solidify and grow that relationship with the other person. In the follow-up email, you can include any or all of the following. And here's your recipe. Number one, you include new information about yourself. So you email me and you say, dear, dear Dr. Levine or dear Elena, it was so nice speaking to you in the summer. Since we last spoke, I won the Nobel Prize, and I thought you might be interested. So you include new information about yourself. It could be a new paper you have out. It could be a new award. It could be just something interesting that you're working on. Number two, you introduce new information about me. Dear Elena, since we last spoke, I saw you won the Nobel Prize in physics and chemistry in the same year. I think that's fantastic. Congratulations. So show me that you've been investing in the relationship that you're aware of certain things that I've been doing. Number three, include something of value for me, like a link to an article or a link to a video or an introduction to an association or even an introduction to somebody else. Show me that you want to help me do whatever it is that I'm doing by being resourceful, by giving me something of value. And number four, you're going to give me an action item. And this is something that engages me and causes me to want to continue conversing with you. The action item usually is in the form of a yes or no question. It is not meant for me to write out a dissertation. It should not require more than 30 seconds of my brain power to respond to you. But it could be related to any of those other three things. You know, dear Elena, I saw you won the Nobel Prize recently. Uh, I saw this article on how to prepare for the Nobel Prize. Here's something of value to you. And have you decided what you will be wearing to the Nobel Prize ceremony in December? So these are things that you can put in the email. And the action item is a quick question that you ask the person that shows them that that you are truly still invested in the relationship. If you make it a point to follow up with the people you interact with between two to four times a year with this recipe, with including any one of these four things in follow-up email or a combination, you'll stay connected. You'll be able to access and create hidden career opportunities for both you and the other party, and you will see your networking return high dividends to your career adventures. Thank you very much, Elena. Sad to say that that is it for this month's podcast, but I hope you've enjoyed it and found it useful. If you've decided you want some more useful tips on careers in science, then, of course, you can go to the Nature Jobs website at www.naturejobs.com or you can follow us on Twitter at Nature Jobs. We're also on Facebook. And please do come back next month because we've got two really inspirational researchers sharing their stories on how they deal with physical and learning disabilities in a scientific research career. 
one manager I remember saying at the time, oh, my gosh, you know, this happened to a girl down our street and I thought you had such a brilliant career ahead of you. To sort of like put those in the same sentence. Thanks for listening. I'm Julie Gould. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.